Thank you for joining us here at First Baptist Church of San Antonio, whether online or on broadcast, in your homes or wherever you may be. We want you to know that you are more than welcome to be a part of the life of this church, and we want you to know that we want you to meet Jesus today. In order for this to happen regularly, we need your support, we need your prayers, and we need your financial gifts. Please continue to give and be a part of what we do today. Well, good morning, and if you can't tell, um, we are beginning a brand new series uh, today. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment, but let me first say welcome to Logos Worship. If this is your first time with us today, we're just thrilled uh, that you chose to walk through these doors into an unknown place among an unknown people and um, check us out um, and worship with us. We're grateful for that. You can let us know. In fact, we ask that you let us know that you're with us, and you can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. It's the simplest way to say, hey, we were here, and it gives us an opportunity to connect with you um, at a later time. Um, our mission at this church family, in this church family, is to faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with him. That's something that we are asking the Lord to give greater and greater shape to in me and in us so that we can be a part of what God is doing in all the earth, and that is good. I mentioned we're starting a brand new series. We just wrapped up a series in the last four chapters in the Gospel of John. We ended um, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ and him foreshadowing or foretelling the resurrection that is to come for the church. And um, it's kind of no surprise, or maybe it's just a really cool thing that we get to start at the very beginning now. And both of those go together, the very beginning of what God was doing and what he will be doing to end all things with a brand new beginning uh, with the resurrection of the dead and a new heaven and a new earth. And so we are starting a brand new series that we are calling Unlocking the Old Testament or Unlocking the Hebrew Scriptures. And so over the course of 13 weeks, um, we invite you at home uh, to read these stories, narrative, these texts as a part of your weekly time to listen to the Lord. Uh, and then we invite you to come in small group or Bible study group at 9.30 or maybe you meet at another time uh, to talk about these scriptures in community and how do you apply them to your life. And then we say, would you come here and we're going to sing and worship and you're one of your pastors um, this preaching pastor, if you're in Lagos, is going to preach out of that text too. We're literally very much on the same page together. And that's really, really cool that we get to do that with one another. And as I said, we're in the Hebrew scriptures and through the next 13 weeks, we're gonna be talking about 
different stories, some of which we, you know, some of which you may not know, and we're gonna try to ask the question, what is God trying to say to us about what he's doing, who he is, and how he's going to fulfill those things? Now, I'm calling these stories over the next 13 weeks as a way to see God's patterns and how he's revealing himself and what he's doing throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And we find the fulfillment of those patterns in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, listen, I didn't come to take away the law, the Hebrew scriptures, I fulfill them. And so we're gonna be looking at two major lenses, kind of like glasses. Have y'all ever seen the movie Nat- uh, National Treasure? Y'all know he had to find those special glasses and they had like multiple lenses on them and like one, two, in order for him to glean the truth or discern what this map was actually trying to say, right, about the secret treasure. Um, Well, we're kind of doing the same thing. And the two lenses I want us to apply, one lens is out of the Hebrew scriptures, and that is the story of God's creation. And so throughout these 13 weeks, when it's appropriate, we're gonna apply that lens of God's creation because I think God's creation is a foundation for everything that he's doing. And the second lens, obviously, is Jesus. And we're gonna put these lenses together, God's creation narrative and his son, Jesus, the Messiah, and we're gonna apply these lenses and we're gonna look at these stories and say, all right, Lord, what are you doing? And how are you fulfilling these promises or how is this story a pattern of what you will fulfill in Jesus? Does that make sense, what we're doing? Thank you so much, Myron. I appreciate that. Uh, Yes, that's what we're doing. And we're gonna start in Genesis chapter six. As you've already heard, Pastor Jimmy read that story about Noah. So here we go. Um, we're gonna begin with creation. So I just wanna invite you to listen to me. We're gonna throw up some scripture on the screen as I get to those texts, but just follow the story. If you have a listening guide, um, you can use that to follow along with me. If you don't have one, I'll even let you go walk in the back. It looks like this. But we're just gonna follow this story and apply those two lenses. So if we were to go back to the beginning, we know that in six days, God created order out of the chaos. He made the land suitable for his ultimate creation, men and women made in his image. And not only that, but he then blessed them. He said, listen, you are made in my image. Be fruitful and multiply, and I want you to rule the earth, have dominion over all the earth as my image bearers, my representatives. I want you to do it my way. We get that first blessing from Genesis 1:28. You've heard it before, be fruitful and multiply. You've seen that. But it's here in this blessing that in some way the story about Noah begins. In Genesis 6, 1 through 4, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here because I know there are a lot of great questions about Genesis 1 through 4, but I think the simplest explanation is often the best one, and I believe verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6 summarizes, in part, the fulfillment of that blessing to be fruitful and multiply. 
Chapter five gives us a list and genealogy of Adam's descendants, um, ending with Noah. And in verses one through four, essentially, the writer of the Hebrew scriptures in Genesis saying, can I just tell you, they were fruitful and they multiplied. They got married. It even points back to Genesis chapter two and it talks about Mary. They found wives and generation upon generation, they multiplied and filled the whole earth. That's what's happening. And so we see the descendants of Adam getting married and having children and grandchildren. We we see them doing life together in verses one through four. In some ways, it's the interlude before the storm. They were fruitful. They were fruitful. But don't forget, don't forget that through the deceit of the serpent, Going back to creation, Adam and Eve chose to abandon God's wisdom for the wisdom of men and women. They chose to be like God and make decisions for themselves what is good and evil. And their rebellion introduced brokenness and sin and death. And we know, therefore, God could no longer allow them access to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. He had to kick them out and exile them east of the garden. But not without a promise to once again bless the whole world by overcoming their rebellion through a future son of Eve. The first murder would soon follow their rebellion and exile when their firstborn took his younger brother's life, Cain and Abel. Y'all know the story. Remember how after each day of God's creation, especially at the end of creation on day seven, he rested. What did God say? He looked at over all that he had created and he said it was good. What happens in verse five of Genesis chapter six? Because of generation upon generation living by the wisdom of men. What does verse five tell us? The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. It was no longer good, but wicked and evil. That's what God now saw as the results of men and women living according to their own wisdom. It didn't play out the way they thought it would play out. And God demonstrates that yes, it's no longer good, it's evil and it is wicked. It, living that kind of way has introduced violence and death and destruction. It twists their hearts out of fellowship Uh, with God, leaving them cursed rather than knowing the good that God intended for them to know. And so verse six tells us of chapter six, so the Lord was sorry he had grieved he ever made them and that he put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Verse six tells us very clearly that the condition of men and women living by their own ways, by their own wisdom, leading to destruction, grieved God's heart. It made him sad. 
In fact, the scripture says when he thought back to when he originally created them, this was not what he intended at all. He intended for them to walk in fellowship with him, to know his goodness and his blessing, not for them to walk away from them, to go their own way and to inherit death and destruction and brokenness. He wanted them to flourish, to know righteousness. He wanted them to know him and each other without fear and shame. But when he looked down upon the earth, that's what he saw was shame. Except there was one person. There was one person that when God set his eyes on him, it pleased God. We know that God made a decision to start things over. Uh, We know that he hadn't forgotten his promise to Adam and Eve that a son of Adam and Eve would once again bless the whole world. And so when he set his eyes on Noah, he liked what he saw. In fact, Noah was a source of comfort from his grief over humanity's sinfulness. He was pleased with Noah. There's a play on words in the Hebrew language. And in chapter five, when it talks about Lamech giving Noah his name, there's a play on words in the word grief. In chapter six, verse six, where it says God grieved. And I think that the point of that the meaning of Noah's name or the reason Lamech named Noah was that he would bring comfort. And what we find in this story, when God sets his eyes on Noah, one of the things that we get from this and this play on words in the Hebrew language is that in some way, Noah pleased God and comforted him in the midst of his grief. So he set his eyes and purpose On Noah, why did he do that? Well, it tells us why. In verse eight and nine, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse nine, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, that's one reason, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah pleased God. He found favor with God. He brought comfort to God's grief when all he saw was sin and death and destruction and violence. When he landed his eyes on Noah, it comforted his grief because he walked with God. That's how the scriptures define that relationship and why he was found favor in God's eyes because he walked with him. Now, this is not the first time we see that phrase In English or in Hebrew, we see it the first time in Genesis chapter five, verses 23, when it tells us the story about Enoch. By the way, that's the whole reason we have chapter five, is to get to Enoch, right? What does chapter five, verse 23 say about Enoch? It says, Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. Then one day he disappeared because God took him. What is walking with God? It's significant. Walking with God, you find favor with God. Enoch was whisked away because he walked with God. And Noah was chosen to be the fulfillment of his promise to Adam and Eve because because he walked with God. What is it? Walking with God clearly means or seems to be a big deal. We discover walking with God really is simply just believing what God has says and obeying him. 
That's the picture that we get from Genesis, and it's affirmed in Hebrews 11, verse 7. But in Genesis chapter, 22, Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, it says this, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. He walked with God, not just for a moment, a week, but for years, decades, as he was building this boat. And even before, he sought after God. He walked alongside God. And when we heard the voice of God, everything that God revealed to him as a command, he did it. He believed God that a flood was coming. In order to save your family and much of the animals and all creation, you must build a boat. He believed God and he obeyed God. That's what it means according to walk with God. And that's what Hebrews eleven seven tells us. Hebrews eleven seven says, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. What does it mean to walk with God and to be like Noah? To listen to God, to believe him, and obey him, and obey him. That's what Noah did. And we know the rest of the story is already told to us by Pastor Jimmy, that in his faithfulness, he built the ark, and God brought him all the animals that were intended to be in that boat for rescue, and God rescued his family, and all those who are unrepentant fell under God's judgment because they were not walking with God, they were walking away with God. And as an epilogue, at the end of that story, uh, we know that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It took almost a year after the rains for them to find dry land again. We know that. We know that God covered the land with deep water. Uh, We know that after about five months, he sent a wind, uh, much like When the spirit of God hovered over the deep at the very beginning of creation, God sent a wind, the very same Hebrew word, to dry up the waters and allow the waters to recede. And after years since the floodwaters began, there was finally dry land again. They left the ark along with all of the animals and Noah made a sacrifice once again to God using the animals that were set aside for that purpose. Notice for a minute, minute, that there's kind of a reverse or undoing of creation in this story. In some ways, it kind of begins with the blessing that men and women were fruitful and they multiplied. And then rather than beholding what uh, all the earth and everything they did, rather than being good, it was bad. And then God sets apart for himself a brand new Adam. And then we have God once again covering the water, covering all the earth with water. It's almost like everything's in reverse. And of course, he restarts everything with the new Adam. Once again, and then verse, chapter nine, verse one, we see Adam, or Noah, the new Adam, receiving this brand new blessing, the old blessing that Adam had received. He says in verse one of chapter nine, be fruitful, and multiply, but it didn't take long for the new Adam, for the new Adam to become like the old Adam. Once again, choosing wisdom of man over the wisdom of God, 
Noah, the new Adam, returns humanity to both nakedness and shame, an echo of Genesis chapter three. There's rhyme and reason to all of that. That once again, abiding and living out in their own wisdom, where does it lead them? It leaves them naked and ashamed. Why would God choose Why would God choose to shape this story in this way to so clearly link the story of creation to the story of Noah? What what is God's purpose? If we are to apply this lens of creation If we're to apply that first lens, what is God trying to tell us about who he is and what he is doing through the lens of the creation account in Genesis one through two? How are we to understand Genesis six in light of that creation lens? Why would he tell us or tell us about his undoing and redoing of creation in this kind of way? When we apply that first land of creation, this is what I would say, God, it's hope for us to get from this very well-known story about Noah and his family. And that is God wants us to know that he is committed to his purpose in creation. Uh, He is committed for his ultimate creation, men and women who are made in his image to be fruitful and to multiply and to rule as his representatives over all the earth, not walking in their own wisdom, but in the wisdom of God. That's what he wants us to know, Uh, that God is committed to fulfilling that purpose that he blessed humanity with from the very beginning. And that's good news, that God is committed to our flourishing as human beings. Of course, it came at great cost, the judgment of a broken and sinful and destructive humanity and the preservation of Noah and his family that would fulfill that promise. But nonetheless, that lens of creation helps us to know that God is committed to his mission and his purpose for all of creation. But then also, it's helpful to look at that other lens of Jesus. And what we discover is that Jesus and the story of creation, uh, when we apply those two lenses, tie everything together for us. Help us to make sense of not just the what of God's mission, but the how of God's mission. Not just what he's doing, but how he's going to accomplish it. God is so committed to fulfilling the blessing that he spoke over humanity at the very beginning to be fruitful and to multiply that he would send his own son to make it a reality. In fact, isn't Jesus called the firstborn of all creation? Isn't he given the title, the firstborn from the dead? That's who he is. Where Adam and Noah miserably failed, Jesus succeeds. When we look at that other lens of Jesus, the very son of God who entered God's creation, uh, 
reclaimed it, redeemed it, and is remaking it. He becomes the new Adam that will fulfill that promise that God set out from the very beginning, ushering in a very brand new humanity who has been born by faith in him. No longer just born of woman, right? John chapter three says there's a brand new way to be a part of this new creation. You have to be born again, not by water, but also by spirit. A new humanity that becomes real in the person of Jesus Christ. And the promise that we have in Christ is that one day when he returns, he will call up this brand new humanity. The dead in Christ will rise from the graves and will raise, will reign with him over all the earth. It's very explicit in Romans chapter five, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that the image that Paul has of restoration and redemption of the earth and humanity is very much of a brand new Adam fulfilling everything that the old Adam did not, nor the old Noah. Incredible story. The question for us, if you buy all of that, if you buy that, that that's what God's doing, that Jesus' birth taking on humanity is becoming a new Adam, if you believe that, if you believe that he alone becomes the ultimate sacrifice by which we can be made right with God and walk with God anew in a brand new way, if you believe that at some point when Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise from the grave, do we believe that that's what he's doing? And if we believe him, The question then for us is, are we walking with him in that belief? Jesus would say it like this when he called his disciples. He would say, follow me. Follow me in what I'm doing. Learn from me. Hear my voice and do what I say. Walk with me like Noah walked with me, although he ended up really messing up. You know, Jesus said himself when he talked about the things that he said and he did, he said, I want you to know I only ever say and do what my father tells me to say and do. Do we believe Jesus and what he's saying and doing and will we follow him? Will we be a part of what he's doing? Will this church family believe and be a part of what God is doing and remaking the world, making a brand new humanity? And so this morning we've applied two lenses. We saw what God is up to in the story of Noah in remaking the world, a brand new humanity. And we see through the second lens that God fulfills that through the person of Jesus, that he becomes the new Adam. And the call for us is to believe and to walk with him. Believe and to walk with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story in Genesis chapter six. Help us to see, help us to believe, and help us to follow your son as he remakes the world.
And Lord, help us to join him in calling others to be a part of that work. To escape judgment, and to find new life, a new identity, a new creation in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.